uh, taken this summer and invested it in really just understanding the teachings of Jesus as it pertains to being salt and light. Not salty and bright, but being salt, being light, being in the world and enjoying it. We got a, a text uh, this last week or an email from Southern Lakes Parks and Recreation uh, we saw on their social media just saying, thanks, Freedom Center. Like, it, you guys made this place, this city, uh, a brighter place, a saltier place. I know we've got a, I won't point anybody out, but there's people here today that were strangers to us at the beginning of the summer, and now they're, they're starting to come to this church. And it's not because of the, the awesome preaching. They never heard the preaching before they came to church. They, it's the great music. They, they didn't hear the music before they came to church. The sermon they heard was you. The sermon they heard was you as you went down a slip and slide. There was supposed to be a slip and slide that became the slip and slide arama, you know? The way you love people caused them to say, I wonder if there's room for us. And now you're answering that question even this morning saying, yes, there is. So God bless you, church, for being who you are. Thank you for loving teachers and students and us and each other and I, I know that heaven is better than this, but I know there's some great things of, happen, of heaven in this earth, in this room. And uh, I just want you to know I don't take you for granted. I talk to my friends. They, they're, they're afraid of their congregations, and they're hurt by their congregations, and they're, they're, they, they're scared of them. And, they're, and I, I just look at you and say, I, I wish we could have a family picnic every week, you know, and just hear each other's hearts. So anyway, let's do, let's do that. We'll have a family picnic this week. Just no food. Let's get in the Word this morning. Matthew chapter 5, you guys ready? Come on, say amen if you're ready. We're starting to land this plane here. Jesus says this one more time. You are the light of the world. A town that's built on a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and then put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds, your good deeds, we'll come back to that in a minute, your good deeds, and glorify your Father in heaven. So what, what do good deeds look like? We haven't really talked about that. We'll talk about it today. What's the context of this scripture? We really haven't put it in what's happening before, what's happening after. <clears throat> what's the larger thought that this thought of salt and light is a part of? And if, if you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 kind of begins that, and what you'll see is Jesus is sandwiching, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, let people see your good deeds, they'll give glory to God. But it comes right after this, this first part of the Sermon on the Mount called the Beatitudes. Anybody know the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who are having a horrible day. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty and persecuted and lied about and mourning. And Jesus is, is trying to do something. He's trying to help us see something. Look at this. Jesus is teaching people whose primary focus is their world, their ways, their lives, that they're seeing everything upside down. Even when they understood the laws of God, hear me, please, they, they saw them the wrong way. How many guys know you can hear the law the wrong way? You still hear say Amen. You can hear the law, like, like there, there can be a law like this is a school zone. The speed limit, you can't go faster than 25 miles an hour. So as Americans, we begin to ask ourselves questions about that prohibition. Are you with me so far? We ask questions like, 25 is the speed limit, but how fast can I go before there's a consequence for breaking the law? If you didn't get that, then get tax season's coming up, right? The end of the year and all this stuff. We don't ask, what's the most I can give to the IRS this year? 
We ask questions, legal questions, like what's the least I can do before I'm in trouble? What's the fastest I can go before I'm in trouble? And so Jesus is talking to people that know the law, but even on their best day when they're obeying it, they're, they're asking all the wrong questions. What's, what's the, you know, the tithe? I understand I'm supposed to give 10% of my gross to the temple and the priests and the Levites live off of this, but is it 10% of my gross or 10% of my net? And then the, the, the Pharisees would probably come and say things like, well, do you want to be blessed on the gross or blessed on the net? It's all a legal conversation. The tithe was not supposed to be a tax. It was supposed to be a covenant. Supposed to be a communication. Supposed to be a trust. You talk about the Sabbath, you know. The Sabbath day, on on that day you shall rest. Well, what does that mean? I can't get out of bed. What if I have to go to the bathroom? What if my dog runs away? What if my cat runs away? Well, my cat, leave him go. But the dog runs away. What do I do? Right? What, what if my donkey falls in a ditch? All the King James people love how that's translated in King James, right? That, what, what do I do? And so the Pharisees, they come up with all the Talmud and the scrolls and the Mishnah and all the, so that we know, a Sabbath day's walk is no more than three quarters of a mile. Three quarters plus one-tenth of a mile, you've broken the Sabbath law. What are they doing? Well, they're acknowledging there needs to be some practical whatever, but by the time Jesus shows up, all they're doing is obeying laws, and they've forgotten the author of the laws. Does this make sense? And we can do the same thing today. Come on. You know, what's, what's, the right, what, what's the right rating of a movie to go see, or how long are shorts supposed to be, or what are you allowed to pierce? You know, are women allowed to wear makeup? I mean, that's why it rains outside. God's restoring every woman's face to factory settings once every week or two. You know, it, it just... But be careful, because every time we try to quantitate something that's only qualitative... Let's, let's, take, let's take my wife and I's relationship. We're going to go on a date. We have regulations about date night. Once a week, thou shalt take thy wife upon a date. Okay, what constitutes a date? Well, walking away from children, grandchildren, family pets, and going out to dinner where someone else cooks and cleans. Okay, all right. So McDonald's is a date? Oh, no, no, let me... And one must spend at least 1% of one's weekly wages <laughs> upon the date. And every seventh year, there shall be flowers. And every 12th year, there shall be candy. And Understand this, by the time I obey all the rules, there still may be absolutely no romance in the tradition of our dating life. But we can take a walk, and I can see a dandelion growing in a ditch and pick it and say, here, I love you. And I've done more because of relationship than the legalities of dating. Does this make sense? So Jesus is going to deal with them about this, and he's about to turn the world right side up and correct their legal understanding of God to a relational understanding with God. Obeying the law is not what the law is for. The law was there to point to someone who wrote it who loves you enough to tell you the truth. And so here we go. He starts the Beatitudes by saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you're like me, you're like poor in spirit, poor in spirit, poor in spirit. Ohio State fans, people who audit my taxes. Like, what, is, what does that mean, poor in spirit? So I'm glad that God gave us people that are smarter than we are to tell us another translation. How many of you guys like a translation called the easy translation? Fourth grade, baby. Coloring section, scratch and sniff in the back. That's the Bible that we all relate to. It says this, happy, blessed, happy are the people who know that they need God very much. The kingdom of heaven belongs to people like this. Eugene Peterson, in his translation called the Message Translation, actually kind of uh, translates it situationally this way. He goes, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. (laughs) With less of you, there is more of God and more of his rule. Um, Are you starting to see that, that obeying the law has nothing to do with that? That's relational. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Because with less of you, everybody say less of me. With less of me, there's more room. There's more of God. There's more need 
And in that need, God inhabits that need. Now, God inhabits the praises of his people. Yes, he does. But he also inhabits the needs of those who cry out to him. You guys are parents, most of you. And if those who aren't, you will be someday, God willing, right? Grandparents. You hear that cry? You know, that, I, I thank you for my, my, my gift, Gammy. Oh, thank you, Bapa, for my present. Thank you. I had such a good day. You know, that's wonderful. But if that kid in the middle of the night, you're in a dead sleep, screams out, ah! You, like adrenaline would flow. You would grab a gun. You would, you would run to that room. You kick in doors. Why? Because you're, you, he doesn't just inhabit the praises of his children. He also inhabits the cries of his children. He's there, his presence is there. And so this thought that, that in our need, God would be willing to meet us there. As a matter of fact, that maybe the one of the best places, and this is where the room will get quiet, and I'm okay with that if you're okay with that, but one of the best places for us to know God better is in things that are larger than we are. Circumstances we have no control over. Things that the doctor, the lawyer, the candlestick maker, the Indian chief all say, we don't know what to do next. In that place, isn't it interesting that the heart of man cries out to the heart of God? Because I, I have no answers, I have no aspirin, I, I have no solutions, and I need you. This less of us, it, it's, man, I'll be really honest with you, there's a lot less of us this week, Dina and I, than there was last week. Dina's father passed away on Monday. Our, our grandson is in the ICU right now with pneumonia that just came on yesterday. I'm, I'm, but I wrote this message on Wednesday, I thought, well, some poor soul is going to need to hear this sermon not realizing God was speaking to me and now you get to be a part of my therapy session or our therapy session this morning. Guys, I'm telling you something. When you're in a crisis, you will either turn to God in a way you never have or you'll turn away from God in a way you never have. I, I gotta take control. I, I'm mad at God. If God is good and God is all-knowing, then that you can't because if you knew everything, then you're not good and if you're good, then you must not know everything. But when you just say, God, I choose to trust you, there's a position. Are you still with me? You guys still hear me? There's a position in our need where we posture ourselves for only God. Only God can help. Only God can give me strength. Marriage is like this, this less of you. When, I, when we made a covenant to each other, she was a fully functioning, single, awesome, intelligent woman. I was a partially functioning project. <laughs> but, but through there being less of us, we have developed a marriage now that has more of us. Less of me, less of her, more of us. I just said this at a wedding Saturday. I'm starting to say it quite a bit lately because I think it's a key to help people understand their marriage, that after every wedding, there has to be two funerals before there can really be one marriage because she has to die and I have to die so that we can become something we can't be without our death. Covenant requires less of you. Covenant requires you to be less. Covenant requires all that you have to bring to it. Jesus is turning the world right side up when he explains that our weakness is the key to accessing relational strength through God. Yeah, I didn't want to hear this either. He continues, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. You ever, this doesn't happen to me anymore because I like the songs I listen to, but back in the 70s and 80s, there were songs that were terrible. Anybody remember disco? Anybody, the British invasion of the Beatles and all that stuff was cool, but then there was all these other, like, other British bands that tried to make it. They were one-hit wonders. There was this cat named Boy George. And he, he, I think he was a boy, and I think he was George, but it was hard to tell by looking at him. You know what I mean? And he was way ahead culturally and kind of offensive to everybody's parents, everything you want to be as a rock and roller. And he sang this song, Do You Really Want to Hurt Me? And that song got stuck in my head for like a month. I'm telling you, within 24 hours, 
I really wanted to hurt him. I really wanted to make him cry. I really did. Because it was such a catchy tune. And I'm, I'm like trying to work on something. I'm, I'm in, you know, class. Do you really want to me? Oh, I really do. I really do. And so you replace that thought with, you know, some quality music. Well, you can't tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a woman. No time to talk. Lycra's tight and my voice is high and whatever it is. I don't know. But, you know, mourning's like that. Mourning is this silent pain that no one else hears, but you can't stop hearing. It's this, it's this thing that you can kind of put aside and focus on something else while you're doing something else, but it, it doesn't seem to go away. As soon as there's quietness, that, that, that song starts to play again. It's like having a toothache in your soul. And Jesus says this teaching. He says that blessed are you who mourn. Again, do you see why? Because there's certain things that I can medicate there's certain things I can entertain to the point of distraction. But there's certain things that will never be comforted outside of the comforter of the Holy Spirit. So blessed are you. Why, why, why would this be a blessing? Because in your weakness, you have access to a strength you would have never asked for without that weakness. Is this hitting anybody today? It's good for me. I'm glad you guys are here. So how can that be a blessing? For they shall be comforted. Who, who is it that's doing the comforting? Anybody know? Just, just hear me. If you are mourning something or someone right now, because you can mourn a loss of something or a loss of someone, just I, I, I saw the trajectory of my life and all of a sudden it changed and I'm so disappointed that there's this Boy George song playing in my soul that I'm just, I'm just in pain, I can't stop it, I don't know how to get out of it. Understand this, when you are in that condition before a holy God who loves you, who's here for you, hear me please, when, when you need to be comforted, you have access to God in a way you did not the day before. Not only, not only do you not have access to him, you would have never thought to even ask. God, I desperately need you. How many guys know you only desperately need God when there's a desperate need? God, I'm so hungry for you. Well, how many guys know you're only hungry for him when there's a lack of him and, and you recognize the lack of God? I'm so thirsty for you. God, I'm so thirsty for your presence. What's that mean? I, well, the church is apostate. And worship just ain't scratching where I'm itching anymore. I guess I got to start watching Steve Furtick more often. Or what are you, it's, listen, when you're thirsty for God, only God can quench your thirst. When you're hungry for holiness and righteousness, only that will, will satisfy you as God gives that to you. So Jesus is setting up this thought that, that the world can distract us and the world can, you know, placate us and the world can medicate us, but, but only he can comfort us. And he goes on, understanding our weaknesses. Blessed are the meek. What is meek? I like Fred. He's just a meek guy. Nobody wants to grow up to be a meek guy. But it's strength under control. It's having strength you're not using because you, you trust someone greater than yourself to work out justice. They'll inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, those who thirst. Anybody ever said, man, I'm so hungry. This feels great. I'm so thirsty. Whoo! Why did I go so long not being thirsty? Thirsty's awesome. It's pain that causes us to, drives us towards food, drives us toward moisture. But they're hungry and thirsty for righteousness. They'll be filled. Blessed are the merciful. You know what the merciful are? Think about this. Blessed are the merciful. Oh, they're so merciful. What's that mean? It means someone offended them to the point. Someone hurt them to the point. Someone used them. Someone lied, treated them despicably in some way that they had a right to reach for justice. But instead of reaching for justice, they reached for mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Anybody feel blessed by the dynamics of Jesus' teaching so far? <laughs> right? Blessed are the pure in heart. I'll give that one a pass. That's good, Right? Blessed are the peacemakers. You know how you can tell a peacemaker in a crowd? 
He's the guy with the arrows in his chest and the bullets in his back because he had the nerve to stand where Jesus would stand between the cowboys and the Indians and say, let's make peace, not war. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called God's kids. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Or, blessed are you when you're on Facebook. That's just a quicker way to say it. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who are before you. I I hope, Ben, come join me again. I I hope you're hearing this today. It's it's a one-point message. This is a musket. It's one shot. But I hope that you get the one shot this morning this way. Hear me, please. I don't like weakness any more than you do. But I am telling you as I'm standing in the midst of it in this moment, those who need God get God differently than those who don't. Those who sprinkle God like salt on their life to add seasoning, wonderful. Those who light a candle as if it were that as well, wonderful. But, but you've got to hear me. I fear our band didn't realize we're, okay, they are coming back. I'm like, I fear that I closed the service too quickly. I, I, I fear that we've associated good times with God and bad times with his absence. I'm here to tell you just the opposite. The worst times of your life, you will find God is best. And the best times of your life, you'll find that he's best too. If you're suffering today, if you're mourning, if you're in pain, I want you to remember this. Maybe the Beatitudes precede Jesus' teaching on salt of the earth, light of the world. Because we, everybody say we, we reveal more about the kingdom of God when we trust his strength and not our own. Maybe. Maybe the context of the scripture we've spent the summer looking at, it isn't like, hey, we should all do water slides, which is awesome, by the way. I think that's a part of it. But if you look at where he placed it, it's not just about water slides. It's when the dam breaks. It's not just about the food we gave away and the ice cream. It's about, it's about the time where people are hungry and scared. When, when we recognize that our role in the world is to show good deeds, we have to ask the question, and what, what, is, what are the deeds that God considers accomplishments and good? And we see through this passage of Scripture, right between Moses said this, but I'm telling you it's deeper than that, and, and you're going to be persecuted and lied about, and you're going to be hungry, and there's going to be thirst, and God's going to feel distant, and it's going to be hard, and you're going to mourn. And it's going to be very disappointing. But if you just hold on, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Um, So one of my great heroes in life is my stepfather. I call him dad. I have two dads. I have a biological dad, and then I have a a stepdad who who raised me. Um, Views expressed by the senior pastor of this church are not necessarily those of Freedom Center or its management, but it is my old man's opinion, I, I promise you. When I talk, I hear his voice all the time. Even the stuff I said, I'll never say that to my kids, comes flying out of my pie hole at my children all the time. It's wonderful. He raised me. I've become a lot of what he is. If you think I'm bad, you should be around my son, JD, for a while. Because he, he's like my dad and that he has no filter. I have a filter because I have a Dina. But, but JD just like, hey, let's go swimming. And he strips down to his underwear and just jumps in the lake. It's like, yeah, we're at a missionette's camp. Probably not the best place, you know, to to do that you know my dad lived a really wonderful life he it was hard you know but when he found the lord and then he found my mom and then he found his pace in life he was just just happier than any man i ever known i remember going to him one time saying dad what's the secret to life kind of joking around like no one knows the secret to life you know he said i got it like like you know what's what's your favorite 
flavor of ice cream. Ah, vanilla. He just was going to answer the question. What's, what's the secret? He said, this is the secret. Every day is the best day of your life. Don't look back and say, man, when the kids were little, those were such good days. Don't look forward and say, man, when these kids finally get out of my basement. Just every day, best day of your life. Best day of your life. Look forward, look back, but best day of your life is today. And I watched him live that life and enjoy that life. He had a saying. He'd say, everything is as it's supposed to be. That was, that was his statement of faith. And I didn't realize. I just thought he was kind of being a comforting old guy, you know. Everything is as it should be, pretty much as it should be. God's in control. All things are working together for good. You love him. You're called according to his purposes. Just, you know, everything's right as it should be. And he lived this beautiful life. But, but I, the story I want to tell you today is about his death. About a year and a half ago, he went to be with the Lord. And in the final literally the final minutes of his life of the story I'm about to tell you took place he was about to have a test to his heart wasn't functioning right he had COPD his lungs being a plumber and asbestos and all that stuff had, had damaged his lungs and so they were going to look down his throat and look at his lungs to see if, if the bronchioles and you know if his lungs were healthy enough to put in the pacemaker and uh, my mom showed up about 15 minutes before visiting hours. So she's in the parking lot. She called him. And this is how he answered the phone. After 50-some years of marriage, my, my father, my dad, answered the phone this way when my mother called. He answered the phone. He said, before I start talking, is this my wife or my girlfriend? Because I have to be careful. He said, this is your wife. And he started laughing. He said, I know. I got caller ID. I, I know. I, my girlfriend has a different number. You know, and uh, he flirted with my mom. And she said, I'll be up in 15 minutes. He said, they're going to come get me for a test. And uh, I, I'll be gone when you get up here, but I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you when the test is over with. And uh, when they went and did the test, he passed away during that test just a few minutes later. The last thing that my dad said to my mom was this. I love you. The last thing that my, my dad said to my mom was this. Is this my wife or my girlfriend? And what I'm saying is simply this. I have watched so many people die so poorly because I'm not dangerous anymore. I used to be dangerous, and now I'm not dangerous. I'm just old. I, I used to be um, useful, and now I'm not useful. I'm just, I have no purpose. I have no reason. And my, my dad, he just, every day is the best day of my life. And I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my grandkids, and I love my great-grandkids, and I love my dogs, and I love my kids' dogs, and I love my grandkids' dogs. Cats, not so much, but I love all the other stuff that's out there. I love it. Just love it. And every day was the best day of his life because when he was hungry and thirsty for righteousness, he sought the Lord his God. And when he mourned, he was comforted by the Lord his God. And when he didn't know what to do, he sought counsel from the Lord his God. And every day, walking in that faith, he just lived every day, one day at a time for the Lord his God. I'm here telling you, as a much younger man, but let's be honest, her, her dad's gone. My dads are gone. Like, how many guys remember when your grandparents died, then your parents died? You're like, who's next? It's like, oh, crud. And I'm here to tell you, I'm going to enjoy every day of my life until my life is over with. And, it, and it's not, it's not because all the days of my life will be enjoyable. I got, I got diapers in my past. I got diapers in my future. Who's clapping? You're my caregiver, Tom. Thank you. God bless you for volunteering. Right? Because every day with Jesus is the best day of my life. And if I'm mourning, I'm going to mourn with him, not without him. If I'm lacking, I'm going to lack with him and not without him. And if I'm longing, I'm going to long with him and not without him. Because every day is the best day of my life. 
because I'm going to serve Jesus till my dying breath. And when I'm done, I hope that the last day of my life, I get to flirt with my wife one last time. And she can say, oh, you idiot. And I'll smile on the inside going, you're the idiot that married the idiot. (laughs) Just stand your feet, please, all over this room. Hear me. If you are going through a really, really, really hard time, let me tell you about a really, really, really good God. Let me tell you about a really, really, really good God. He just, he's not surprised. He's not shocked. He's not disappointed. He's not afraid. He has made a decision about you, and that decision is called love. It's patient. It's kind. It's gentle. It's not based on feelings. It's based on a decision God made before the foundations of the world. He took full responsibility for every breath you'd ever breathe before anybody even thought about there being a you. That's how good he is. That's how all-knowing he is. That's how present he is in this moment. He's not Bette Midler's God from a distance. God is watching us, and you're the, the wind beneath my sheets. Or wings, I'm sorry. Wind's beneath my wings. That's another story for another time. Close your eyes, would you? Just do this right now. Guys, hear me. He's here. He's he's near. He's, He's in you. He's around you. In him we live. In him we move. And in him we have our being. The only thing that could keep you from fully enjoying every moment of the rest of your life is that something between us and his heart would not allow him to come near, wouldn't allow him to come here, wouldn't allow him to invade our thoughts, our minds, our hearts. But, but man, I'm, I'm telling you, you can be all alone in this world and close that door with all your belongings and drive up to Tawas and feel the presence of God in a way you couldn't have if you were just driving home. The need of him creates room for him. And today, if you need him to come near, what, what is it that would stand between your heart and his? Is it condemnation because of the things you've done? Please hear me. If you believe that what you've done is so bad that it's greater than what he's done, then you have believed a lie. You will never be more powerful than God. Never. <laughs> and his ways are higher than your ways, and his way is love. His way is mercy. His way is righteousness. The right thing to do now, if God feels like he's a million miles away, the Bible says this, if you will draw near to him, he will draw near to you. And I'll, I'll tell you this, the, your steps may be one or two, his will be 10 or 20. He will bridge that gap remarkably fast when you turn and start walking towards home. To so Jim, I'm, I used to have faith, but then I became an atheist. Hear me. But don't you miss him? Don't you miss him? Don't you miss how simple life used to be when you didn't have to be God? Don't you, don't you miss him? Maybe you're so mad at God or so hurt and you feel like God's the one who hurts you or people have harmed you and God didn't. You know, there's no justice in this world. And it just, I, I listen, I hear that. And then here comes Jesus where it's blessed are you and people lie about you and persecute you and falsely say all manner of evil against you because of me. My kids walked away from the Lord. My kids are mad at me. My kids are turning to lesser gods. But, I, but, but that doesn't mean God isn't in the middle of everything you're going through right now. I've lived long enough to know that battles are what wars are made out of. And a war is not won by one battle. It's won by a million battles. And God is fighting on your behalf. So I, I think this is true. I think your kids are coming back to Jesus. 
I think your grandkids will preach the gospel. I, I think that the best days of their life are ahead of them. God is so patient, he allows us to wander off in a way. But, but if you read scripture, not everybody comes back, but a lot of them do. Because it's just, it's just so terrible out there. And they say, man, I, I'm so angry, I'm so hurt, I'm so isolated, I'm so alone, everybody's wrong. And then you kind of go, but I haven't been happy in like 10 years. And they realize I really miss him. They may not come back to a religious orthodoxy, but you'll see it. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you've been running from God. Maybe your kids have been running from God. Maybe your friends have been running from God. The good thing about an omnipresent God is every time you run in front of him, you run right into him. So today, if you're here, you're like, I need God. I just, I do. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'll just be honest, Jim, right now. Whether it's because you're just hurting so bad, you just need someone to meet you here in, in, in that morning with comfort, and it's him. You've just really been struggling, really been wrestling. This is not a, hey, let's get through the day. This is like, hey, let's have a breakthrough. Let's break through this and not go back to the lies of yesterday. Let's, let's defeat the lie of condemnation. Let's defeat the lie that God is distant and doesn't care. Let's defeat the argument that if he's good, he can't be all-knowing. And if he's all-knowing, that he can't be good. Let's, let's just say, God, we trust you more than we trust anything else or anyone else. And our, our confession of faith now is we trust you. We trust you to forgive us, to heal us, to help us, to comfort us. If that's you, would you just raise your hand right now all over this room? Just, my eyes are closed, everybody else's eyes are closed. They're not counting anything right now. This is a private moment between you and your creator. God, I trust you to meet me here. Father, be in my life what you once were. Father, restore what was stolen from me. Restore what was lost. Bring prodigals home. Forgive my sins. Give me a clean slate and a fresh start. Let today be a brand new day. Suffering is not evidence of the absence of my God. Substance is evidence of, a, of an enemy that wants to destroy me and steal from me and kill me. But I have made my decision and I have staked my claim. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I trust you, God, to have done everything that needs to be done. And you are my breakthrough. You are my breakthrough. You are my breakthrough. Worship team has one last song. and We're just going to use it as a song of response. I need you, God.